Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, and you have a special uh, special day today, folks. We're getting a two-for-one special. We have uh, Diane, who's the CEO of the Rasmussen Foundation, on about an hour and a half ago. And we have a second guest today. But before we go into that, I want to thank our show sponsor, Gungerstein for U.S. Senate. Um, she's running for U.S. Senate and she's sponsored our show. We're very thankful for her sponsorship because uh, this well-oiled machine has run one $5 donation at a time. And um, her donation makes it, or her sponsorship makes it possible for us to get conservative news through all the nooks and crannies of Alaska, which we are very excited about here at Must Read Alaska. And for, fo for folks who uh, didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, uh, interview an hour, hour and a half ago. I want to tell you if you uh, are involved in a nonprofit or you have friends involved in a nonprofit, you're going to want to take a listen because if you've been around for a year or so as a nonprofit, you have a couple people on your board, you should be applying to the Rasmussen Foundation for grants. They give out small $5,000, $10,000 a year grants to lots of folks all over Alaska. If you're not getting it, you're missing out. So, but without further ado, we have the people senator on today, Senator Mike Showers, who is loved and adored by the Mustard Alaska crowd and many conservative folks and libertarian folks around Alaska. So welcome to the Mustard Alaska show, show, Senator Showers. It's good to be here, finally. I know we've been playing this for over a month trying to make it work. <laughs> well, I'm excited you're here. You've been a big staunch proponent of election integrity. Um, you uh, You've often jumped on Facebook Live with folks, you know, on your own page which I think is awesome to make people just kind of spell out stuff for folks in this very simple, easy way, using a whiteboard at times, which I think folks have really liked and they've benefited from. So talk to folks about election integrity and why that matters to you. And, and do you think we're doing it right here in Alaska? We're not doing it all wrong. I will say that, but there is certainly room for improvement because every time as I have started this, as you have said, I'm kind of the face of it, a lightning rod. With election integrity and we started this effort over four years ago and of course the first two years i don't think people took it too serious because i didn't get a lot of pushback and then when we really started making headway in 2021 for the next this last two-year session then you know we had the adn and all these others coming out and i was getting called a, you know a, a racist and you know i just wanted to suppress the vote of people kind of stuff which is all garbage but you know they're playing politics and so how the genesis came, which is I'm going to take us all the way back to 2018 when we were looking at things that we might, might want to file, file bills on. You know, this is the middle of the former president's, you know, um, time. And it was long before the 2020 elections, because that's another one of the false allegations that came out. Oh, you just want to, you know, redo the Trump election. I'm like, no, I don't. I said, if that's the case, how come I started working on this in late 2018? We had almost the identical bill filed in 2019 for that two-year session. It just didn't get anywhere. But that's the year that, you know, we voted against the, the binding caucus and they took away our chairmanships and all those things for many of us more conservative legislators. And we voted against the budget. We weren't following the statutory law PFD. Now, I say all that in context because I want to go back to it and people go, well, what happened? I said, that's why we did it. We saw as we were looking at different things in the election system, we go, yeah, there's a lot of loopholes here. 
there's a lot of uh, looseness, if you will, to use the term, in our election system. So we started investigating, looking at some of the data. We started digging into DOE and, and interviewing a lot of folks there. Okay, <clears throat> here's some of the things we found out that we think we need to do better. Number one, we have highly inflated voter rolls. That's a problem because that could be used for fraud, that people get ballots by the thousands and thousands that aren't theirs. They end up in the trash can. I've got pictures and reams of data showing all this from the last four, four and a half years. And so we had the director of the division of elections on, you know, multiple committee hearings. One of them, I asked the question, I, like a lawyer, you ask the questions, you know, the answers to, right? Sometimes you got to ask questions, but often you want to see what the person is going to say. <clears throat> and in this case, we had the data already set up. It's like, well, so there's 730,000 Alaskans. Yes. Um, you show 600,000 people eligible to vote in Alaska. Yes. All right. So if you can explain for me the math, then I said, what your own data shows right off your website, we have is 130,000 roughly kids under 18 can't vote. So that puts us at 600,000. So you show every other, every other person in Alaska eligible to vote. Yes. Then can you explain why there's 14 and a half thousand felons that are ineligible to vote? Hmm. Um, the 84,000 or so non-residents, non-citizens, whatever, that are not eligible to vote, that are in the state, you know, and there's another like 24,000 transits. There were different numbers. We show about 478,000 maximum. And uh, we'll get back to you. <laughs> so you're like, ah, okay, small problem, right? Because that means we're sending out tens of thousands of ballots, but people shouldn't even have them. Automatic voter registration that was passed by the citizens, barely, but it passed. But that's been a huge problem because we are registering people to vote. For example, that uh, everybody that applies for PFD gets automatically sent prima facie, they accept it, no cross check of whether that person's eligible to vote. And they just send it. And as soon as the DOE gets it, they go, yep, all right, that's another person registered to vote. Well, the permanent fund division will later kick them out because they're a non-resident. They don't meet requirements. Something happens. Well, that data never gets to DOE. So we were registering thousands of more people with the automatic voter registration. Now, there are certain people in certain groups that like that. I don't. And we say it's not appropriate to be registering people that aren't, re that aren't eligible. So <clears throat> we were trying to change that as well because it's another problem. And quite frankly, that wasn't even ours. That came from the Division of Elections and the Lieutenant Governor's Office trying to get rid of automatic voter registration because it's causing problems for them because they're having to go back and find people and say, no, you're, you're not eligible to vote, but it's taking time and money and effort. And it's, it's actually they've been sending ballots to people like felons that shouldn't be eligible to vote, but that are <clears throat> um, you know, putting in for a dividend. And they're actually getting getting ballots sent to them. And so that's causing a lot of problems, people voting that shouldn't be. Um, for example, we're using this ERIC system. It's got 31 states in a total with us. It's a private entity that we have no oversight. <clears throat> excuse me, my voice for a second. No oversight, no control. And they're telling us uh, what we can and can't get from the voter rolls from these other states. And then I've got reporters saying, well, you know, we're in ERIC. That helps. I go, OK, fine. But 31 states. I looked at the math, added up. That's 135 million Americans in those other 19 states. We're not cross-checking, not doing a good job. We're paying money for it. But the biggest problem is we have no oversight and they won't even let us get data. In fact, there was a federal lawsuit that was filed by an organization that said they couldn't get the voter rolls because we as the state are supposed to provide that information to anybody that asked. But the ERIC contract we have with a private entity said, no, you can't do that because of the contract. So we're actually violating the law because of what some private entity is telling us to do. There are a number of things like that, you know, ballot harvesting is an issue. We know it. We're trying to make that illegal only where you can, you know, like a caregiver or a family member could get it from like grandma that's, you know, in the nursing home that can't certain things like that. But Jonathan, we are riddled through with things that I've never, and they, they try to say, oh, well, you're trying to say fraud. You know, you're trying to say the election was stolen. You're trying to, you know, redo the Trump. Election. No, I'm not. I've never done that. And I know you can validate that because I started this effort well before the 2020 election, I identified all these things we're talking about. I go, we just can do better. 
I was on this long before there was any issue um, about the Trump election and all that, that garbage that I kept getting from the press and others, because they just want to have it the way they want it. They want to open up when you look at the left side of the spectrum and the reporters, they just want to open up. Anybody can register day of anybody. I mean, you look at the bill and it was like, oh, you don't have to prove who you are. You can register day of. So oh, let's have an election in the summertime when we've got an extra million people coming through here from other states that can just show up and vote. The point is, is that I think all of us want everybody to vote that is eligible to vote. It is a it is a privilege and you should be able to vote. But at the same time, we want to make sure that the system is not so loose that you have people that shouldn't be voting because that's illegal and it's not right. Only people that should be eligible to vote should be participating in our system. So. There's, I mean, we could sit here for literally an hour and go over all the things in the bill. It had you know, like 64 sections in it because it was a big bill. But there are a lot of problems like that that we did. And then, of course, you look at things like a judge overriding election law in 2020. I'm sorry, that's unconstitutional. That judge should never have done that. It says very clearly there the only person, the only entity that makes the law is the legislature. Judges don't get to make the law. That judge rewrote election law and forced us to go to an all-mail-out all election because of COVID. It was garbage. I mean, it just, they sent out tens of, we probably sent out over 100,000 ballots, I'm sure, that oh, yeah. should have never been sent out. And God knows where they all went because they didn't get them all back. They have no way of tracking it. And we all, but, we've all, you know, either experienced it or have a friend that experienced that they get an extra two ballots or an extra, you know, four, maybe seven. four ballots. And then you think to yourself, oh, you know, it's just a couple, but the times that by, you know, 100,000 households. Yeah. all over the state that it's happening to and it's a lot of and you don't necessarily you know i agree with you, you don't need necessarily need to use the word fraud but we do have cases like a former elected official who alleged allegedly committed voter fraud this has only happened like a couple years ago and this is the one who you know she got caught and she, and it hasn't you know she hasn't been proven innocent or guilty yet but it's alleged and things happen and so what could you know, if somebody's listening to this senator and they're thinking, "Well, crap, this is this two problem is way too big for me to handle." I got, I'm a, you know, I got two jobs. I'm a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or whatever it is, and I have time to figure, you know, figure out election fraud. What can the average person do to help folks that care about this create a solution? Do phone calls, emails work? How can somebody be helpful in this case? you know, helping election fraud not to happen ever again. A couple things. And I'll just throw some ideas out. You just mentioned a couple. For example, call an email and publicly testify. If, I'm, if I've got a bill or others that is about making our election system better, you know, reforming it so that it's just as tight as we can get it um, because we don't want elections thrown, right? That's a foundation to our republic, our representative republic. So first of all, yeah, call in and email your legislator, but not just yours. I always tell people that everybody, the more they hear from people, the more they go, oh, this is an issue. I better pay attention to it. If you only send it to your, let's say everybody just sends the emails to me. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the election integrity stuff. Well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm already doing it, right? But the Democrats need to hear it. The Republicans that are resisting it need to hear it. They all need to hear it. Call in every time there's public testimony. I put it out there. Others do. That's a big deal. When they, when they see a thousand people lined up to testify, they go, oh, the citizens, if a thousand people like in the PFD, when we did that before a couple of years ago, when over a thousand people signed up to testify out of the citizenry, when normally it's like five, that's yeah. percentage wise showing a massive, a massive interest from the population. And they pay attention to that. So calling in, writing, public testimony, all that stuff matters. Um, support the legislators that are doing it. You know, like myself, I am in I am having to run now because somebody decided to challenge me. I guess I'm not going to 
you know, whatever. I'm the most conservative senator, you know, senator by far, and national organizations say it, and this guy's decided to challenge me anyways, whatever. But the point is, so support the legislators that are that are doing that. You know, donate to them, help them, get them, get them reelected so they can go back and keep fighting the fight. That's another thing that you can do. I would also tell you to um, document everything. And that's something that we failed to do as a state back in 2020 and before, is tell everybody, document. If you see something wrong, say something about it. Take a picture of it. Make sure that the document can be provided to legislators and or law enforcement. Because, you know, you may remember before the 2020 election, this all came out after. I didn't know any of this before that, you know, we were hacked, you know, a month before the general election in November of 2020. The lieutenant governor's office in the state knew about it, didn't tell anybody, including any legislators until after it was over and they certified the election. But one hundred and thirteen thousand people's data was stolen, was hacked. And every bit of that information was all you needed on every single person to put out to request an absentee or mail out ballot. Ask the question, did any fraud happen? Oh, it was fine. We're sure nothing happened. Really? How is that? Did you do a forensic check? Well, no. Did you look and see if anybody, you know, had said, no, we didn't do any of that stuff, but you're sure nothing happened. Oh, yes. Um, that's not good enough. Folks. <laughs> yeah, by that the way, doesn't sit well. Doesn't sit well with <laughs> me and others. And by the way, had you at least told everybody, do you know what might have happened, Jonathan? People might have gone, oh, I'm going to document. I'm going to take pictures. Do you know we got well over a thousand people sent us pictures of uh, absentee ballots and other stuff they were sent. They didn't request. And some people said they got ballots they didn't request. How would we ever know? Because we didn't check and we didn't tell people to check. But had they said something before the election, people would go, oh, there's a problem. I'm going to take a picture of this. I'm going to document it. And we would have had information. Because nobody saves anything from the election. They toss it all once it's over. Oh, yeah. oh thank God the election's over. They throw it away. It would have been nice to have a lot of data. Um, so there's a lot of things like that. It's a long answer, but it's it's a it, that gets complicated. Well, I and think it, you bring up you bring up a, a tremendous point, which is to document everything. Because just as you're saying this, I'm now remembering. Holy crap! The Division of Elections had a major data breach, and I got the letter. I got the one page letter that said, "Hey, we're sorry that your Social Security number, your date of birth, and your <laughs> address got stolen." Here's like a, you know, some credit service thing you could use for six months for free. And for folks that are listening, I, th- I think, you know, literally like 100,000 people's data got stolen. So 113,000. Somebody, we, I don't know if they figured out who reached in and stole 113,000 people's data from the Division of Elections enough to request a ballot. Now, I don't know about you, but that is sounds like a whole lot of felonies and it sounds like a whole lot of alleged fraud if they ever track down who did it i hope they you know they did bring it, it was state actors out. not from this country but that's a huge thing like a big data breach and it was just kind of like brushed under the rug i feel like and oh yeah it by was. the way we you know had a major data breach no big deal and by the way, Jonathan, that's not the only data breach. We had one a year or so before that with Division of Elections. And if anybody hasn't seen it, you should watch the HBO documentary Kill Chain. That was back in 2016. And Alaska gets an honorable mention in that documentary because they have the person that hacked the data, our, our election system in 2016, had access backdoor to every single thing, could have manipulated that election, admits it on the record in the HBO documentary Kill Chain. And they show how machines can be hacked in real time and all this stuff. on. Oh, yeah. Whoa, and that's not, they're not exactly known to be right of center. This is a left of center, but they're showing all the problems they had. And of course, I'll tell you why, which is fascinating to me. 
because from 2016 to 2020, they hated Trump and wanted him gone. So all they did for that time, including that documentary, was to show how vulnerable our election system was. And I can show you reams. I've got them saved dozens and dozens of documents from all these newspapers and news organizations of how bad and how vulnerable our election system was up until the day after the election in 2020. Because they were trying to undercut, they were afraid Trump was going to get reelected. I'm telling you, that's what it was. The very next day, after they said Biden won, they're like, our election system is the best thing ever. It's totally secure. There's nothing to see here. I'm like, that's not what you've been saying for the last four years. It shows the bias of it. It's not objective at all. It was a terrible system when Trump was president and they thought he might get reelected. It's the best thing ever when their guy gets elected. If you're going to tell oh, yeah. me that politics don't play a part in the election system and the reporting of what happens, I got some beachfront property to sell you in Arizona, brother. <laughs> well, one of my favorites, uh, we'll get onto the next topic, but just to belabor the point, which I think is very important, um, in PBS, which is not obviously not a, a conservative news organization, in 2018, they uh, did kind of a documentary and a couple news pieces on, you know, what's can somebody break into our election system? And so they had this a big to do down in Florida where they invited a bunch of hackers to see if they could hack into the system. They replicated the system on servers and computers and they let these hackers at it. Now, the first person to break into the system was an 11 year old girl and it only took her 10 minutes to manipulate all the data and get whoever she wanted to win, win, including like Big Bird. Jonathan, it's the most secure system ever. All is well. Don't you know that? <laughs> and this is PBS. And they explain, I'm looking at the article right now, they explain in depth that this 11-year-old girl was able to hack into the most sophisticated election system in the world in 10 minutes and make it look like, you know, whoever she want, won, won, which, uh, you know, that just goes to show that uh, what we think is true oftentimes is not. Uh, and, and let me be crystal clear before we move on, Jonathan. I want to say this to the crowd because somebody, there's always a troll watching this and they'll try to take something out of context that we discuss here. I have never, ever, ever said that I believe that fraud through the election in Alaska. I've never said it. It's never been what I hang my hat on. I know there's problems with it that we can do better. And I've tried to do that even before the election thing even became a big thing after the 2020 election. I just know that we can do better. I've explained some of just some of there's other things we could discuss, loopholes and things that we could do better. And that's all I've ever done. I've never said there was massive fraud. I've never said it was the swing of the election. As a matter of fact, in Alaska, pretty much most of the candidates who wanted to win won, including Trump, if you're a Trump supporter. So that's not what we're doing here. Um, what we're doing with this is trying to make a system as tight as we can get it. We already know there's been hacks. We already know there's been some fraud. We already know there's a lot of loopholes that allows people that might be malicious to do something with it. I don't want to sit back and wait for the next data hack. I don't want to yeah. wait until we prove there's fraud. I want to fix the system now. So that's what the effort was about and will still be about because we can certainly do it better. Um, you know, and so that's that's been the goal from the beginning. Jonathan, I'm not going to stop on that because that's something I think is important to a lot of Alaskans. And quite frankly, I think it's important to some on the left, too. It's not just people on the right. They all were worried about the election system from 2016 to 2020. They're not so worried about it now, but they may be if the next president's not who they like. It's strange, like I said, politically, yeah. how people support or don't support the system based on who they think's winning. Oh, yeah. So, Remember, when, when Hillary lost for three years, she just toured the country telling everybody that, you know, Trump hacked the system with Russia. So strange, huh? Yeah, it just depends <laughs> on your political point of view. My yeah. point, Jonathan, is I want people of all stripes to be able to have faith in our election system 
I understand we've always been a, a country where we didn't, if we didn't like the results, we're like, oh, well, go on to the next election, work harder, get your person elected. But we always had faith that it was, was good. And that's what I want to get back to. You don't have to like the results, but you trust the results. That's the goal. I like it. So let's talk quickly about constitutional convention. I know that there's been a lot of chatter on you know, Facebook and probably in district meetings all throughout Alaska, Republican district meetings and probably even Democratic district meetings. Tell folks about what the Constitutional Convention is, just kind of the bare bones uh, 101, you know, elevator talk on what it even is. And then why do you think it's important that we have one or not have one? I'll try to baseline it in just a couple minutes. I'll go fast because, you know, this this can be a long topic, so, like all things can. So here's what it is. Every 10 years. The Constitution currently says there shall be the question, will there be a constitutional convention? It has to go before the voters. That just happens to be this year. So in the November general election, on one of the ballots you have, it's going to have that question. Shall you vote for a constitutional convention? I'm recommending yes. Reluctantly, I've always been a no. And if you asked me a year ago, I said, no, no, not worth it. I have changed that to a yes now. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, a yes, we need it. So what is it? A constitutional convention basically we'll go to the point where the people vote for it they say yes then there will be a special or another election where the people from across the state will elect delegates from across the state not all in one place it'd be districts so it'd be a very balanced you know people elected from all over the state not legislators not politicians the average jonathan you could run an average person can run to be a delegate to go to this convention it's a one-time thing They'll get together for a few months, whatever that time is. If they go, they'll show up and then they're like their own little legislature for a few months. That was like the 1955 convention that uh, created our original constitution. They will have plenary power during that, which means they can go in and now the legislature, the governor, the judicial branch, nobody can influence them. Once they're there, they get to look at the constitution and they can propose amendments on any part that they want to. New amendments, change current constitutional sections, they can do that. When it is over, if anything, which is going to be a high bar, if anything was to pass that convention, here's a safety net. The people still have a third vote. They vote for or against the constitutional convention. They vote and control who the delegates are and go. And anything that comes out of the convention has to go before the people for an up or down vote. So the people don't like what the convention comes up with. They just go shoot it down. They like it. They can vote. Yes. Three times the people vote and control this process. And it has to be funded. It will happen if the people vote for it. And the reason I went from a no to a yes, Jonathan, is because there are, there are key seminal things in this state that we have to solve. And I think the driver is, and the reason that you want to vote yes for a constitutional convention, if you want to protect the permanent fund and the permanent fund dividend, the only way you're going to do it moving forward is by enshrining that thing in the constitution and getting it over with. Take it off the table. The second thing, and the only other thing I think will actually gain enough traction to pass would be a change to the current constitutional spending cap. Because that spending cap, just like every family member out there, every person that works goes, yeah, there's only so much money I get to spend. Like, I have a cap, how much money I make. I might make take a loan for a house or something, but at some point they don't loan me money anymore. But the government, you know what the government does? They just keep on taking from anywhere. They take more from businesses, more from taxes, whatever it is, they just keep on spending. And they deficit spend. We do that, right? We've done it before and depleted our savings account. So I think that people want to vote yes for it. There's a lot of safety valves in this. I've heard that, well, you know, we have a model constitution, protect our constitution. It's the best constitution ever. It's great. I asked, all right, if that's true and the, and the founders were wise and they gave us a great constitution, can you explain to me then why they also very specifically wrote and talked about and put in the constitution every 10 years, there shall be the question, will there be a constitutional convention? If they didn't think that it ever needed to be changed, they would have never put that provision in there. First of all, and people go, uh, well, um, well, I don't like that section. Oh, so it's a really good constitution except for that part. Noted, number one, we don't want to touch our constitution. 
Um, we've amended it, I believe, like 28 times. This is nothing new. People go, oh, this is a dangerous thing. A dangerous, dangerous. I'm like, there's been something like 208 constitutional conventions around the nation in our history. This is nothing new, nothing dangerous, nothing wacky. It's just the first time we've done it. And there's things that need to be solved, right? So not a big deal in that sense. And I will tell you, Jonathan, you look at all the safety valves, the people have control of the process, who's going to go there, what comes out of it. It's going to be a balanced because it's not going to be like, you know, a bunch of Matsu conservatives, if you're a liberal that are worried about what's going to happen, right? It's not because they're going to be elect delegates from all over the state. It's going to look something like the current legislature, somewhat balanced left and right. And if you're a conservative, it's not going to be a bunch of people, a bunch of liberals from Juneau controlling the convention. It's not going to be. That's not how it's going to work. What the people that, that oppose this, Jonathan, my last point here, and I'll stop. What the people that oppose this, you look at it, it's big union leadership, not unions, people that are just surviving. I'm, I'm in a union. I'm not anti-union, but big union leadership, the political ones, right? Big business kind of stuff, interest, special interest, nonprofits. They're the ones that want to control this and state politicians and bureaucrats. They want it to stay the way it is because they like the game and it benefits them and they get their slice of the government pie and money. That's why they don't want a convention because they're afraid you, the people, will take some of that power back. And if you protect the dividend and have a spending cap, you just shrunk down their leverage and control over the process, right? Of course, they're scared to death of that. Of course they are. But all they have to sell you, Jonathan, and the people, all they have to give you is fear. What I propose for you is hope and faith. Hope that we can make it better and faith in the people of this state to do it right. They don't. I do. That's the difference. Well, I like it. And, and for folks that are still on the fence and thinking about it, I want to encourage you to really take a good hard look because um, there's three barometers for anything to even pass. You know, you got to elect the delegates. They got to come up with the changes. And then it goes before the people again to vote yes or no, just like Senator Showers mentioned. And so I think. It's an exciting time in Alaska. When I look at all the people that are for it, their theme has been freedom. And when I look at all the people against it, their theme has been fear. And um, just right. like you said, and it's, uh, it's quite the contrast. It's definitely a line in the sand. And uh, I think that folks are gonna have a choice here to come, up, come to look at their ballot, a yes or a no. And I wanna encourage folks to do their homework before they, you know, go to the ballot box, because this is a very important issue. I think anything that scares the Democrats enough to come out in full force against something, us conservatives may want to take a look at why they're doing that. So, and Jonathan, and even even Democrats or liberals should want this because it still provides an opportunity to discuss things that are important to them, and there will be a balance. Because again, like I said, and the people really need to understand this. They get, oh, dark money is going to come in. They're going to influence it. It's going to be this wacky convention with all this dark money influence. And these, no, it's not, because the Matsu is not going to elect a bunch of liberals. Juno is not going to elect conservatives. All over the state, it will look like the current legislature. It's going to be somewhat balanced. So you're not going to go too far left and right. So that alone is going to make it a balanced discussion throughout this process. It's not, it's not going to happen that way. And those, what I call the niche issues, they're not going to get that kind of traction, just like the current legislature to pass those things. So people need to understand that when they hear the fear mongering about this, because again, that's all they're selling is fear. It's not going to work out that way. The structure is not going to allow that to happen. That's simply not how it works. So uh, any other last minute uh, words or thoughts here? We're, we're running out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that's in your neck of the woods that's important to you this summer, what you're working on. Floor is yours. Uh, anything that you'd like to say before we head off? Well, I would like to just tell people that I am. I did. Michelle and I prayed about this. We've really struggled with the decision, but we decided to go ahead and run. 
um, to get back in the race one more time because we were so close in election integrity. Actually worked with the House Democrat to almost pass a bipartisan bill. Didn't have everything we wanted, but not everything they wanted. It was the good stuff in the middle. And we, within 30 minutes of the end of the two-year session, the alleged legal failed us and they held our amendment, but we could have passed it. Um, and so we were that close, you know, judicial reform, the, the fiscal policy working group, you know, the, the current leadership never even entertained the idea. So there's all these things that we were so close to getting by going back. We decided, you know what, I'm senior enough. We've had a lot of people change hands. I think we can actually get some of these important things through whether or not there's a convention that would obviously alter the dynamics as well. But I don't want to give up now. And while I'd love to just go back and be a FedEx pilot and make money and, and whatnot, Michelle and I are <laughs> like, you know what? We need to stay in the fight and stand in the gap one more time. So that's why we're running. So I could use your support because I do have a challenger. It's a state, you know, employee, lifelong kind of stuff. It's going to be a different dynamic and it won't be the same as me for a, by a long shot. So you just have to, like you said, choose wisely, educate yourself and make a decision. But we could certainly use people's help, you know, donations on the campaign, et cetera, you know, plusing us up, you know, kind of pushing us. Hey, Mike's the right guy. So we could use that help. One. Um, I will mention this. I think it's important. The Binding Caucus um, is kind of rearing its ugly head again. I'm hearing candidates like one at the Eagle River that's calling a bunch of House kids. This is a former House legislator that's running for House again. And saying, oh, you need to have the Binding Caucus. I'm hearing that. I'm, like, I'm calling all those candidates. I'm like, do you know what that means? Oh, you support the full dividend? Too bad. You're going to vote for a $500 dividend because that's what the Binding Caucus is going to tell you. So trying to re-educate people on that and go, no, don't vote for Ask them the question, folks. If they say, uh, you know, ask them, do you support and will you join a Binding Caucus? Get a yes or no answer. Because legislators said, yeah, I'm going to go along to get along. I'm going to give away my vote to the to power players in Juno. That's what you're doing if your legislator is going to join a binding caucus. So just I want to not let that die because we've not had it in the Senate. And that's what allowed me, Jonathan, quite frankly, to toot my own horn for a minute. That's what allowed us to do what we've done for two years to counter the old guard and the deep state is the, the reason that I was able to pass. And it was my amendment that passed the statutory PFD this year, even though they later changed it down because the House voted it down a couple of days later. I would have never been able to do that if there was a binding caucus. Um, the deal we got for $30 million more for the Matsu, the $200 million for the port here and the, the port of Nome to get it moving, that was an amendment I put together with a couple other legislators. I did that. It wasn't the representative that's the finance co-chair from Eagle River because I was in the room when we pulled that together. But I would have never been able to do that with a binding caucus. I would have been stuck with the budget they gave us and it was an up or down vote. So that binding caucus matters, folks, for the PFD, for the budget, and those kinds of things. Um, and then finally, I guess... Just to tell people, Jonathan, what those priorities for me are, why we're doing this. It's election reform and integrity. It's judicial reform. It's a balanced fiscal plan, that fiscal policy working group. Um, those are all key things for the state moving forward. And in the way that, or by the way, that fiscal policy plan has the PFD in it, the constitutional spending cap change. It's got the balanced budget, um, what we would need to make sure every year we're not overspending. So those are my priorities because those are the big things. Jonathan, I go, we can do that. I'm like, the state's on autopilot. I can go back to my life again, right? <laughs> but, you know, until yeah. then, we got to stop fighting about this stuff. And that's why it's important to me for my kids and grandkids. I don't, I don't need this job, but I am concerned about what I'm leaving them. And if it wasn't for those guys, it would be harder for me to stand the gap. But I refuse to back down and hand my kids a chocolate mess and my grandkids. I want them to have something better than we have. And they still want to live in Alaska because it's a great place to be. we got tons of potential. We just need to use it and resource development and other things. I mean, anyways, you get the point. So, so how does somebody get a hold of your campaign? What's your website? Do you got a generic email address or a phone number? Uh, let folks know how they can get in touch with you. I'm glad you said that. I always forget this stuff. I'm not much of a politician. I don't sell myself. I don't go to all these things and take pictures all the time. It's just not who I am. MikeShower.com. So if you go, we had to buy it, you know, for the campaign. So MikeShower.com. If you go there, it's got a ballot, it's got contact, it's got donate buttons, all that great, you know, pretty stuff on it. So if you just go to MikeShower.com and have it has everything. 
Um, you know, I've got a Facebook page, you know, Mike Shower for Senate. You can certainly do that on social media. I think it's linked to Instagram, you know, all those kinds of things. Everybody does that now. But um, yeah, that's how you can reach out to me. It's got contact list. It's got a phone number on it, all the stuff there. Um, so I would appreciate your help any way you can. But that is how you can reach us. It's easy, simple. Nice. Well, Senator Showers, I appreciate you being on the Must Read Alaska show and keep doing what you're doing, because I think I can ex at least speak for myself. I have been appreciative uh, for the stances you've taken and the transparency that you've brought to the process down there, doing many, many, many Facebook lives over the course of session, I think has been very helpful to folks, whether they agree with you or not, you're making yourself available, which I think is a huge step in the right direction. So keep being yourself. And uh, I love your uh, uh, just tenacity to do whatever it takes to do the right thing. So uh, we look forward to having you again uh, as a guest. You're invited back whenever you'd like. Uh, and uh, we want to remind folks that on Monday, we're going to have Mayor Pierce on the Must Read Alaska show. He's running for governor, and he's going to be telling us about what the latest is with his uh, on the campaign trail with him and his lieutenant governor candidate. So that'll be very interesting. And we hope everybody has a good weekend. Go catch uh, some uh, salmon there on the Kenai. And if you are here from Wasilla, Palmer Anchorage on the Kenai River. Make sure to clean up your mess and shop at a couple of our shops. We appreciate you not only fishing here, but uh, spending some money here as well. So until next time from somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick. And we want to thank our show sponsor, Gunger, Gunger Stein for Senate for sponsoring the Must Read Alaska show. Until next time, see you later.